Scripture reading this morning are from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwellings in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthian and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the part of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does he mean? But other mocking say, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hours of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servant and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Now we should thank Sebastian for reading that text because uh, that was a difficult text to read. There were a lot of names in there. <laughs> Sorry about this, Sebastian. When I uh, gave that piece of scripture to read, I was like, oh, I'm glad that's not me. But uh, <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. Also, I just want to say thank you all for over the past couple of weeks, um, as I've moved into this new role as intern here at ACC, uh, so many of you have reached out to us, uh, to Karen and I, and just have been praying for us and um, just giving us encouraging words. And I just want to thank you for that. I particularly want to give a shout out to our community group who've just been really great and, and a reminder to and a push for this. If you're not part of a community group, you're missing out. Just want to encourage that um, for you all. So, um, but again, just thank you for praying. Um, and we ask you to continue to pray for us, for ACC, for this whole transition. Uh, for David and Sabeda, even as they transition out, that you would be praying for them. And it's uh, as, as hard as it is for us, 
it's just as hard for them to step away to. And so be praying for them, praying for their heart, praying for their spirit to be uplifted, even as they move into a new role. Um, so let's uh, go ahead and get started. Um, and I'm going to start today with just uh, asking a question. Um, you know, how many of you have ever had a conversation with people, you, um, a conversation with people where you don't really know the jargon or terminology being used, all right? Because it's just not your background or the topic's really pretty specific. You know, I think we've all been there at one time or another, and it's awkward, right? It can be pretty awkward. Sometimes it can even be frustrating to be in that position. Um, but think about how difficult it can be to navigate the strange vocabulary of the world of finance. Now, look, I'm, I know probably a third of you are somehow or another involved in finance, so I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I could have just as easily said a doctor or a mechanic or someone else. So just know that I'm not, you know, not singling you out. But finance does have its own language, and sometimes if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's a challenge to engage in a conversation with someone who's giving you advice in that area. Uh, recently, there was a film... Um, it was an Oscar-nominated film called the, the Big Short. And in that film, there's this quote that sort of gets to this idea of terminology being used that we don't really know. Uh, it's a very, I don't think it's a well-known film, but a lot of very famous actors are in it. Um, and it's talking, the film is talking about this the mess um, and basically sort of the lie of the entire mortgage department and the way mortgages are done in the United States. Um, and, but in this film, it says, Wall Street loves to use confusing terms to make you think only they can do what they do. Or even better, for you just to leave them alone. Right? Don't ask them anything, let them do their job, and they'll take care of you. You know, I think as Christians, we have this same issue when we use Christian terminology or Christian jargon or even Christian slang, right? I remember when our family was uh, living in Slovakia in Eastern Europe, which is primarily a Catholic country, and we were there to help a very small Protestant church and church planning and just church revitalization. And, and I'll never forget the first time that someone came up to me. This man was my realtor. We had become friends. He had found our house for us in uh, Poprad, Slovakia, which is a little town in the center of the country. And he came up to me one day and he said, oh, Jim, I'm just so glad to see you. I wanted to wish you a happy name day. And I blinked and I looked down and said, oh, it's not my birthday. He said, oh, it's, I know, but it's your name day. And I just really happy, you know, happy name day. And I said, oh, okay, thank you. I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, and so, but later, of course, um, I learned that in Slovakia, each day of the year corresponds to personal name, which originally corresponded to the Roman Catholic calendar of saints. So everybody in Slovakia celebrates their birthday and their name day. They were usually named after some saint on this calendar, and they celebrate them the same way. There's a big party. You, you tell people, happy name day, happy birthday. It's the same thing. It was new for me. It was strange to have the conversation with um, this man, just blinking and going, okay, great, thank you. But, you know, last week was Ascension Sunday, and today's Pentecost Sunday. Now, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear those terms, right? They are Christian holidays that some of us know about, because you came to faith or you grew up in churches, uh, whether that was Catholic church or an Orthodox church or maybe Anglican or even a, a Pentecostal charismatic church where these holidays were acknowledged and celebrated. But for much of church, or at least for a significant portion of American church culture, most of us don't ever deal with these holidays, right? 
It's, they're not like Easter and Christmas where there's a cultural correspondence to the holidays. There's just two holidays that occasionally come up, which means that if you're like me and my background, I don't really have a lot. Pentecost and Ascension don't hold much meaning to me. I have to go and figure out what is Pentecost? What is Ascension? And that is today a little bit of what we're going to do. Um, even though I think we could have probably all sat down after Chris's um, prayer because I think she touched on everything I'm going to be talking about today. So thank you, Chris. <laughs> But you may be surprised to learn that Pentecost is not just a Christian holiday, but it's also a Jewish holiday, right? We read it Acts 2, obviously those were Jewish people. And that Pentecost today among Jewish people is still celebrated. Now, of course, it's not called Pentecost because most likely the name changed because Pentecost became so associated with Christianity. And in Judaism today, it's called Shavuot. And I probably just butchered that name but it's called something along those lines, right? Shavuot. And, and, and within Judaism, the, the symbols and the representation of what that holiday means changed. But in Jesus' day, Pentecost was the celebration of the gathering of the first fruits of the harvest. And it was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Gathering in the Old Testament. It was celebrated 50 days after Passover, and it was one of three Jewish pilgrimage festivals that required Jewish people from all over the Roman world to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple, to present their gifts and offerings to God. You know, our story in Acts 2 begins, or Acts, our story begins about 10 days before Pentecost. Um, disciples are in Jerusalem, and they're living with Jesus still. He's, he's risen. They're praying with Jesus. They're learning from Jesus, and they're with him. And then Jesus comes to them in Acts chapter 1, and he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit comes. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus states, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, just a little nugget for you. If you ever read Acts, go to Acts 1.8. Right there is a good summary of the entire book, at least a geographic summary of how Acts unfolds for the church. Um, as a, the church spreads throughout the Roman world. That's just a nugget for you. It has nothing to do with anything else. Uh, then after Jesus says this, he, he ascends to heaven. Now, Luke is clearly linking the ascension, Jesus going to heaven, rising to heaven, with Pentecost. And dare I say, you cannot have one without the other. Jesus first must ascend to the right hand of the Father to reign and rule over his kingdom with power and authority, and only after he comes into that power and authority does he, through the Father, send the Spirit to all who believe in him, to his disciples. Now today we're going to look at three reasons Pentecost matters for you and me. Even if you didn't grow up in a church that celebrated Pentecost, Pentecost still matters because it's a biblical holiday, it's a biblical idea, it's a biblical theme that's throughout Scripture. The first thing I want us to see today is that at Pentecost, we are promised the presence of Christ through the giving of the Spirit. Excuse me, I have a little swallow here. So we're promised the presence of Christ through the giving of the Spirit. And chapter 2 simply begins, When the day of Pentecost arrived, the disciples were together in one place. And suddenly a sound from heaven came like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house. And then divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on them. The wind and the fire that accompanied the gift of the Spirit are common biblical symbols for the activity of the Spirit 
and they have several meanings associated with them. For example, think of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where the, wind, the blowing of wind is equated with the Spirit and bringing new life. While in Acts 2, the intensity of the wind and the fact that it's from heaven, that it comes from heaven, announces to us that the Spirit is of divine origin. This isn't something that they're experiencing internally. This is happening outside of them. Fire is also a symbol of the powerful presence of God throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Think of the burning bush of Exodus 3 or the pillar of fire at night that um, led the Egyptians in the desert um, into a safe place away from, uh, I'm sorry, led the Israelites away from the Egyptians in the desert. And then, or, or think of God coming down at Mount Sinai in fire and smoke. All of these are symbols of God's presence in the Old Testament. Acts 2 uses the symbols of rushing wind and tongues of fire to announce that the presence of God has come down from heaven to rest on the disciples, to, to be with the disciples. Now, before we can fully understand or at least begin to grasp why Pentecost matters, we need to step back and understand the promise Jesus made regarding the Spirit. You may remember a few weeks back, Pastor David spoke and touched on some of these issues um, when he spoke on the role of the Spirit. You will remember uh, Pastor Dave was speaking on the role of the Spirit by using the, some of the English equivalent names for a Greek word, right? And John, we're told that the Spirit is our advocate, he's our helper, he's our counselor. And then throughout John chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says a great deal about the Holy Spirit. And he said some fascinating things regarding the Spirit that I believe would have been difficult for its disciples to hear. For example, in John 14, verse 16, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now again, Jesus is telling them in John 14, the Spirit, the Helper, I'm going to send him to you. He's going to be with you forever, and he's going to dwell with you. And then later in John 16, Jesus makes this remarkable, sort of an outstanding statement to his disciples. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Now try and put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. We know from the text, if we read through the whole text, we know from the text that after hearing these words from Jesus, the disciples were confused, they were saddened, and they were a little shocked by what Jesus was saying. They had been with the Lord Jesus for three years. Their king, their Messiah was now telling them, I'm going away. I'm going away. And he's not just saying, I'm going away but my going away will be better for you. It will be advantageous for you. It will be beneficial for you when I go away. Now, I think the disciples are right there where you and I would be. They couldn't for the life of themselves see how it could possibly be better for them if Jesus went away. Those are hard words for us to hear, right? How can this possibly be better for us? We can all think of good, even great reasons of why being in the physical presence of Jesus would help us in our faith, would help us in our daily life. 
But Jesus isn't just giving platitudes to the disciples. Rather, he promises that when he ascends, he will send his spirit in his place to be with the disciples forever. You know, I think there's uh, Robert, this man by the name of Robert Hall Glover, he was a CMA missionary to China and uh, sort of the third part of the 20th century, the late, the early third part of the 20th century, and then came back to the States and wrote one of the most famous missiologist books around for many, many years. Um, and he says this about the ascension and descent of the Spirit. By Christ's ascension, this is what uh, this missionary Glover is saying, by Christ's ascension and the Holy Spirit's descent, Christ exchanged his bodily presence with his then disciples in Jerusalem for his spiritual omnipresence with his disciples everywhere. Can I repeat that? He exchanged his bodily presence with his then disciples in Jerusalem for his spiritual omnipresence with his disciples everywhere. Glover is basically saying Jesus is no longer bound by time and space, that is by a physical body. By ascending and sending the Spirit, he makes himself available to all believers. Jesus' kingdom is worldwide. And when he ascends, when he sends his Spirit, he sends his very presence to all of his followers. So that all who call on the name of Christ can have eternal access to the King of Kings. Jesus is no longer physically present, obviously, and yet all who confess Christ receive God's gift of salvation and God's gift of himself, that is, his spirit who resides with us forever. You know, this is immensely different than the Old Covenant, or some of the things that we read in the Old Testament, uh, and even in our readings uh, regarding the spirit. Under the Old Covenant, the Spirit came upon certain elders, certain judges, warriors, leaders, and the prophets in a way that gave them extraordinary power, um, extraordinary gifts. And you can, you know, you see this with, with Samson, you see this with Moses. We saw it in the text we read again with the elders of, is, of Israel. But in the New Covenant, in the New Covenant, for us today, the Spirit is given to all who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because at Pentecost, our relationship with God is transformed. It's now more intimate. It's more personal because His Spirit dwells with us and remains with us. He doesn't depart from us. And it's the same Spirit that Paul speaks of in Romans 8. Paul says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit assures us that we are sincerely loved by the Father because of Jesus. The promise of the Spirit was given in love so that wherever we go, whatever we do, God is with us. We are never alone. Jesus is always with us. Whatever your troubles are, whatever you're facing, Jesus is always with us because His Spirit resides with us, reigns in us. And the Spirit reminds us that we're fully loved by our Father that we're fully loved. He is with us, and we are fully loved and cared for him. That's why we have the Spirit. He didn't just say, great, it's been good with you guys three years. Go out, share about me. No, he says, I'm going to send you my very presence with you so that you can tell the nations about what I've done. And as Tim Keller has said, when you know that you are loved, that the Spirit of Christ is with you, then you have real power for ministry. You have real power for ministry when you have the Spirit and you know that in the gift of the Spirit that shows us the love of the Father for us. 
The second reason Pentecost matters is that we're promised the power of the Spirit for ministry. Jesus says, again, right in Acts 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When Jesus gives the Spirit to disciples, two things happened, right? In Acts 2, two things happened. They receive the Spirit. It says they are filled with the Spirit, and then they begin speaking in tongues or in other languages. Luke is showing us that the giving of the Holy Spirit was to fill us with the presence and power of Christ. He wasn't leaving us to our own power, to our own doing. He was going with us, and he was enabling us, empowering us to do what he called us to do, what he was going to call these disciples to do. So when the disciples are filled with the Spirit, the power of the Spirit enables them to begin speaking in other languages to testify about Christ. You know, all the visitors and inhabitants of Jerusalem, all these various Jewish people from all the surrounding nations of Rome, uh, were amazed and astonished at what they were hearing. Why is that? Well, these, Gal these Galileans were speaking in other languages that they didn't know. But more than that, or just as much as that, these Galileans were testifying of the majesty and the greatness of Jesus. They were telling these Jewish people from the diaspora that Jesus had come, Jesus had died for their sins, Jesus has risen to life for their salvation, and that they could have the same Jesus simply by confessing their faith and trusting in him. That's what the languages were giving for. That's what the disciples were doing. They were proclaiming the majesty and the greatness of Jesus. The text goes on and says, Peter then immediately stands up and he begins to address the crowd by quoting from Joel 2. And he declares that today, Pentecost Day, this prophecy has been fulfilled. The main fulfillment here is the promised spirit of God is poured out on all who believe in Christ. Man, woman, child, free person, slave, all who believe in Christ receive the spirit. We didn't read verses 22 and following. That's because it, it really goes all together, right? But that would have been really long to read. And I didn't want to put anybody through that. But we didn't read verses 22 and following. But Peter, after quoting from Joel 2, declares the prophecy to be fulfilled. The, uh, I'm sorry. Declares the prophecy to be fulfilled and connects it to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And it's clear that the reason the Spirit's been poured out, the reason the prophecy has been fulfilled, is because Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. All these Jews who'd come into Jerusalem, the disciples are telling them, here's the Messiah, here's the Messiah, come to the Messiah. Confess your sin and come to the Messiah and be baptized. You know, we could keep going on with this, but I want to come back to this truth. That is, the Holy Spirit was poured out to give the disciples of Christ power for ministry. We have examples, we have an example of this, of course, in the life of Peter. You, you guys know the story. During Jesus' arrest and trial, Peter denies even knowing Christ three times, right? At, G at Jesus' death, all disciples flee. Um, they go into hiding. Uh, they're just absolutely terrified at Jesus' death, um, and they're just unsure of what's next. But then you get this poignant, wonderful picture in John 21 after the resurrection of Jesus restoring Peter to ministry. And you, you remember this, right? Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? And on the third time, Peter grieved to his heart 
says, Lord Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. We have this wonderful picture of Christ restoring Peter to ministry. And it's a picture for us because in Peter, we're a in essence, he's a representative for us. We're no different than Peter, guys. We've denied Christ. And if, if not verbally, we've denied him in our sin and our rebellion against him. And yet Christ in his love, in his compassion, his mercy comes and restores Peter and really transforms Peter. And we, we see that in, cha in uh, chapter 2 of Acts. So as Acts 2 comes, so Acts 2 comes as a surprise. Not the outpouring of the Spirit. We've, we've seen that was already promised, right? The disciples knew. Jesus said, wait. So Acts 2 isn't a surprise because of the outpouring of the Spirit. But it is a surprise because the, the Spirit transforms their ministry, right? Their ministry is completely and forever transformed because they are filled with the very presence and power of Christ. You know, seven, seven weeks earlier, they were in tatters. But after the resurrection and Pentecost, all things changed for them and for us. Peter now stands up, it says in the text. Peter stands up and addresses the crowd and the power of the Spirit, and 3,000 respond in faith to the message of the gospel. And chapter 2 comes to a close with an emerging community of believers, born out of the proclama proclamation of the gospel and out of the power of the Spirit. And these believers, it says, they are continually, they continually devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, Right, the breaking of bread to prayer. You know, it, it, chapter 2 ends with this faith community coming into ex existence. In essence, the New Testament church coming into existence. Right, And it's a picture for us. It's an example for us. It signifies that all churches, on some level, when you hear those words, reading the, the, the apostles' teaching, devoting themselves to it, prayer, the breaking of bed, bread, fellowship, those are an example of every church of Christ should in some way and, and somehow look like that. And I'm, think, I'm glad that as part of ACC, I can say that's true of us, right? We are devoted to these things because we have experienced the love, power, and presence of Christ. Look, the thing I want you to get here is that the resurrection transformed their faith, but Pentecost transformed their ministry. We know that the Spirit regenerates us, that is, gives us new life. We know He convicts us of sin, he grows us in righteousness, right? We can read that throughout the New Testament. It's everywhere in the New Testament, in the Gospels as well. But in Acts, and not just in chapter 2, but the whole book, the primary role of the Spirit is empowering His people for ministry. Not just the apostles, but all the disciples who are there in Acts 2. That empowerment in Acts is seen most fully in the proclamation of the Gospel. But Scripture also shows us that the gift of the Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts that go beyond just the proclamation of the gospel. We read that in our reading, right? We read uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, where we all are empowered with spiritual gifts for, to proclaim the name of Christ and to serve in his kingdom. For example, Romans 12 says this regarding these spiritual gifts. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, 
the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The gifts of the Spirit are given to build up the body of Christ, and it declares majesty. And they are given with power because they flow from the Spirit. They flow from the Spirit. They come from the Spirit. And this is why at Astoria Community Church, we encourage you to know your God-given spiritual gifts and to use them in the service of Christ's kingdom. You know, you can learn about your spiritual gifts through taking the adult education class, right? About every couple years, we offer adult education class on learning about your spiritual gifts. I don't know when the next class is going to be, but you don't have to wait for that class to learn about your gifts. Instead, let me encourage you to begin looking for ways to serve this community now because it's through serving and trying out in different areas that you can begin to learn how has God gifted you with his spirit. You don't have to wait for a class. You don't have to read a book. Those are good. When we have the class, I want you to come. But begin serving now. Begin asking God, how is it? What's, what gift have you given me that I can use to serve your body, to proclaim your majesty, to proclaim your glory, to build up the body of Christ for his namesake? Right? Get involved in this church. We have, I'm going off on a tangent, we have huge needs. We, need, we have huge needs for volunteers. What a great way to use your gifts for this body and for the worldwide kingdom of Christ as a whole. If you're not sure where to serve or how to serve, let me encourage you, come talk to me, come talk to Andrea, come talk to the diaconate, um, Tony, uh, Tina, any of them, we can help you get plugged in and find ways for you to serve here in this and use the gifts of, that God has given you for the benefit of his kingdom. I gotta stop there, I'm keep going, sorry. <laughs> Change of gears. All right, now the last thing I want us to see is at Pentecost, we have this breaking down of barriers, right? You see this a little bit in chapter 2, but, uh, but it expands as the book keeps going. When the disciples begin speaking in other tongues, that is in other languages, they still do not really grasp the significance of Pentecost, right? They don't really understand what's going on. Yes, they're filled with power. Yes, they're filled with the Spirit, and they're preaching the gospel, but they haven't grasped what all this is going to mean. And as... The, oh, stop. I'm getting ahead of myself. Constantly here. Uh, let me see. The language here in Act, the languages in Acts 2 are, of course, languages that were spoken throughout the, the Roman Empire by Jewish people, right? Where they had, they had gone some up into Iran and Iraq, all the way out to uh, Arabia, down into North Africa, various places these Jews had, been, had gone for various reasons and now had come back um, and brought with their languages and, and to some degree, not just their Jewish culture, but also uh, their particular culture from where they were living. Um, but when you read Acts 2, these languages and these uh, nations that are mentioned in verse 5, it should begin to you know, sort of jog your memory. Have I, have I heard that before? Have I seen that before? And of course we have, right? It should, it should remind you, oh, Genesis. There's a story in Genesis called the Tower of Babel. You remember that story? There God came down to prevent human ambition and pride by confusing their languages. But in Acts, the Spirit comes down, the Spirit of the Lord comes down to proclaim salvation in Christ by making the gospel intelligible in all languages. What Pentecost is showing us is that it has turned, it has reversed what happened at Babel. 
It has reversed Babel. Now, because it's saying the gospel is for all nations, for all people, for all languages, go and proclaim that message. And that's what, of course, the uh, apostles are doing or the disciples are doing in, in Acts 2. A New Testament scholar by the name of Conrad Gemp says, says this. What is new here is that from now on, people will not need to come back to a central place to worship God and in the Hebrew language. Rather, they could go to the far corners of the earth and worship God in their own languages and in their own cultures. The barriers that divided people had been broken. And God has been and continues to create a new people as Pastor Des, we learned last week, a new people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, Revelation 5. This is seen, of course, like I said, more fully as the book of Acts unfolds. This new strange revelation is progressively rolled out until the entire known world is impacted by Christ through the outpouring of the Spirit. That all may know the love of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Pentecost is transformational and has broken down these old barriers of language and culture. And this holiday shows us that our diversity, that our diversity is in ACC, is that our diversity is a strength here. It's not a stumbling block. Sometimes in our culture, sometimes diversity becomes an issue of division. But for us and for the Church of Christ, it's a strength because it is a picture of heaven. It is a picture of the gospel impacting all cultures, all languages, and where it brings division, it shouldn't. It should unite us as one in Christ, because in the Spirit, as we read earlier, we are united together as one, and we are being united continually as one, because Christ is our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your spirit that even now fills us and unites us as one. Thank you for the diversity that's represented in this room. And thank you that you are teaching us and helping us learn to be united and to grow as one, as a reflection of, of the unity that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have. Lord, may we be spirit-empowered people using the gifts you've given us to proclaim your majesty and to build up your body. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.